morning. This morning's readings, we've got two readings, both from Hebrews, one from Hebrews 10 and one Hebrews 12. So if you could turn to Hebrews 10 for me. Reading from verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another, and all the more, as you see the day approaching. If you could just turn to Hebrews 12, verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice, speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. This sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better uh, speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Right, good morning from me. It's uh, great to see all of you here. And just uh, have your Bibles open in Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to start there in a moment. But just before we get going, um, I remembered that I need to embarrass someone. So Shannon, happy birthday she turned 30 today. Um, oh, sorry, I meant 19, and a very, very happy birthday. Can we give her a clap and just... <laughs> All right. There's a title for you, Unmissable Church. Unmissable Church. Now, we're on a... We are... We are Church Series, uh, Volume 2, and this morning is Part 3. Part 1 was Deacons, Part 2, sorry, Part 1 was Elders, Part 2 was Deacons, and this morning Part 3 is Unmissable Church. And I've got seven headings for you, and here comes the first one. We'll start right at the top. Now, I'll come to that in a moment. What I'd like to do is I'd like to ask you just to turn to the person next to you and tell them one bad habit that you have. One bad habit. If you're with your spouse, remind them of the bad habit that they have. Okay? Go on. I know this could probably take a while. Right, uh, just stop there for a moment, otherwise we'll never get through the sermon. Um, just on the screen there, there are four of my bad habits. One, I bite my nails. 
two, I pick my toenails. But here's the thing, I would actually bite them, but I can't get my head down there. So if there's a chiropractor that can make me flexible, um, I don't put on sunscreen when I go into the sun, so I look so good. And my fourth one is that I eat too many lollies. Now, what I'd like you to do is the person you, you spoke to, I'd like you to shout out their bad habits. Just, <laughs> I'm not joking. This is not a joke. Anybody, anybody want to shout? Uh, well, the, 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 Caroline, what, what's it, what is Etienne's bad habit? All four of those as well. Um, but he says a South African brewer brother. That's it. That's why. Anybody else? I don't know. Like, anybody else want to shout out a bad habit that they may or may not have or may or may not be the person next to you? All right. Tell you what you're going to do. Over tea and coffee this morning, you will share your bad habits with one another. But the, the, the habit that I want to pick on this morning, if you'll excuse the pun, is this one in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 and 25, that was read for us by Carol. And see if you can pick it up. And let us consider, the Hebrew writer says, how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the bad habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So what we've got here is that the, Hebrew of, uh, the writer of Hebrews is addressing a predominantly Jewish-flavored Christian community. And verse 25, notice, they've got themselves into this bad habit of not meeting together. Some had developed a bad habit of not meeting with other Christians. I want to ask you this question. What is your habit like? What sort of habit do you have when it comes to meeting with other Christians, whether it be in a context like a Sunday morning, whether it be a, a connect group or other sort of, sort of gatherings. What's, what's your habit like? Or maybe I should say, what's your frequency like? Recent Australian research has shown that Christians, committed Christians, attend church on a Sunday at an average of two out of three. Two out of three Sundays, committed Christians attend church in a downward trend. Now, let me ask you. Two out of three. What do you think? Is that pretty good? What do you think? Is that a good ratio? Bad ratio? What do you think? Fair? Well, you might say, well, let's not overdo it, right? I mean, do you remember the days, I don't know if you can remember the days, when churches actually had two services, and it was sort of like the expectation that you went both Sunday morning. Anybody remember those days? There's a few of you out there. I mean, perhaps that was, I mean, Jerry, that was a bit over the top, wasn't it, mate? Nah, okay, good, I'm glad you said that. I suppose you could put it into perspective like this. Supposing, for example, you were part of a soccer team, and you said to your soccer coach, well, I'll be there two out of three practices. And I'll be there out of two out of three games. How might the coach react? Well, I'm a coach of a soccer team, and I can tell you that some of the kids in my team do have a bad habit of saying to me, well, we'll be there when we're there. I mean, but the coach is amateurish after all, so we don't need to be there. He is. What's your attitude to church? What's your attitude in terms of gathering, coming together? What's your attitude? Is it meh? Is it ma? Is it moo? Is it who gives a boo? 
two out of three. Oh, I mean, the preacher's a bit amateurish, isn't he? Is church unmissable? So why the bad habit, number two? Why the bad habit? There were two main reasons why the Christians in Jewish Christians and Hebrews had got into this bad habit. The first reason was persecution. Persecution. So if you had your Bible and you flick down to verse 32, you'll read this. The writer says, and remember those early days after you had received the light when you endured a great conflict full of suffering. So one of the reasons why they stopped attending was fear. It was because of persecution. But that's not really our problem today, is it? We will not be persecuted if we come to church. There are people out there that probably think we are stupid and brainwashed if you come to church, but they won't stop you. However, there are spouses, for example, that are married to non-Christian spouses, and they can face that sort of hostility. On many, many occasions, I've had a Christian spouse say to me that I, I, I can't come as regularly because I need to keep the peace at home. And, and that is a very real threat and thing. And, and, and one needs to be a discerning and have wisdom. But the second reason, the second reason why these Christians got into this bad habit of not meeting, we actually draw from the book of Hebrews itself. And here's the thing. The Christians no longer saw the importance of God's people gathering together. They'd lost the eternal perspective on why it was important to meet together now. And let me explain it like this. The whole book of Hebrews is about how Jesus is better than anything and anyone in the Old Covenant. The book of Hebrews is that Jesus Christ surpasses everything in the Old Covenant. The book of Hebrews is about the fact that Jesus Christ fulfills every single thing in the Old Covenant. In fact, in fact, in Jesus Christ, the Old Covenant becomes obsolete. And here's the verse in uh, Hebrews 8.13. The writer says, by calling this covenant new, the one in Jesus, he's made the first one what? Obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Now, here's where the bad habit comes in. The Christians were saying something like this. Wow, we, if Jesus fulfills, surpasses everything in the old covenant, and all we need is Jesus, then why do we need to meet? What's the point? And again, what has happened is they've lost the eternal important significance of why God's people gather. So, Go with me. The reason would, would go something like this, all right? Who, who, who does the temple in the Old Covenant? Remember, people gathered where? At the temple, right? Who, where, who, who does the temple in the Old Covenant point to? Answer? It's Jesus. Who do the sacrifices in the Old Covenant point to? Answer? Jesus. Who is the new Israel? Who is the new Israel that Israel in the Old Covenant pointed to? The answer is Jesus. How are we saved? We're saved by faith in Jesus. So why bother with church? It's a good point. Why bother with church? We don't need to. You see the point? Now coming up on the screen, I hope, from recent 
research, and I've added a few little bits and pieces myself. Here are 24 reasons. hope you can see them. Here are 24 reasons why Christians are in the habit of not gathering together. Some legit, of course, some not so legit. But here's 24 reasons. I'll just run through them fairly quickly with you. Uh, uh, illness, no friends at church or a sense of isolation. Holidays, tiredness, busyness, family activity, grievance with a leader, pastor. Uh, that one's quite strong. Uh, sport, including kids. An emotional state, being depressed, being stressed. Uh, broken friendships at church, business, needs not being met at church, the church is boring, have an unbelieving spouse, I mentioned, they need to go shopping, weather, attending a Christian convention or conference, a divorce, so feeling a sense of shame and not needing to, or not wanting to come, the church is full of hypocrites, unconfessed sins, school functions, car club or bike, motorbike outings, uh, visiting family or friends, and we're just not saved by church attendance. Now, just take a moment and pause there. How many of the 24 relate to you? Just take a look at it. How many, you reckon, are your reasons? Now, while you're pondering that for a moment, if, if you think that this is a ratchet sermon, that I am trying to ratchet things up so that we can get the attendance average from 2 out of 3 to 3.2 or 2.3 out of whatever, uh, you, you are badly mistaken. This is not a ratchet sermon, anything but. If this was a guilt sermon, and this was a ratchet sermon, it would be like one of those not-so-long-lasting pills. You take the pill, it might last for a week or two, and it will go back. A number of years ago now, back in South Africa, my previous church, St. James, I I did a sermon on why Christians need to get together to pray. I preached on the Sunday. The prayer meeting was on the Wednesday. I'll never forget it. Uh, I, I, I can't remember whether it was a guilt sermon. It may one have been one of those. You know, I have a doozy from time to time. And, and, and so, so I preached this sermon, and on the Wednesday it was incredible. We had 60 people at the prayer meeting. But here was the problem. We only had 40 people in the church. So I don't even know where the other 20 even came from. They just sort of pitched up from all over the place. They just magically uh, sort of appeared. Here was the thing. The, the, the very next term we had our prayer meeting, the attendance went back down to five, and four of the five were colliers. That was my family. So um, here's the thing, and it is sad, Caroline. Um, here's the thing. Here's what the Hebrew author wants to do. He wants to deeply persuade us deeply persuade us that being together in gatherings just like this one this morning is eternally significant. He wants to deeply persuade us that church should be unmissable. And it really should only be the exception. And there are times, of course, but it really should be the exception why you want to miss church. And just imagine, just, can you just go with him? Just imagine we were a whole bunch of brothers and sisters that just thought church was unmissable. Can you imagine? Whew. All right, so let's go a little journey, shall we? And we'll see where this ends up. Let's number three. Let's go to the gathered Old Testament church. Now, if you've got your Bible... Um, but we'll actually come to it. But every time you see the word church in your Bible, it is the Greek word ecclesia. 
and, and that appears right through the Bible. And the word church is actually only mentioned once in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 23. We'll get to that in just a moment. Now, the translation for ecclesia as church is a good one. It's a great word. It's been used for the last 2,000 years. But if we try to get right back down to the very core of what that word means, it would be the word gathering, gathering. The ecclesia is the gathering of God's people. And I think we can put this into perspective if we understand that the word church, though a good one, has often been quite misleading. So, for example, when you say that you're going to church on a Sunday morning, you usually mean you're going where? You're going to the, the church building that is 2 Recreation Lane, uh, Busselton. I work for the church, which means I'm employed by Busselton Baptist Community Church Incorporated. We are part of the Baptist church, which means we are part of a Baptist-flavored bunch of Christians. Very helpful, I think, to go back to the original word, which means gathering. God gathers His people. And can you remember the very first small gathering of God's people? Can you remember where it was? Anybody know? Right back where? Right back in creation, right back there in the Garden of Eden when we're told that God walked with His people in the very cool of the day. But let me give you an old, I want to give you two Old Testament gathered sort of pictures. And here's the first one in, um, in Exodus chapter 19, verse 10 and 11. So listen to this, and this is at Mount Sinai. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them both today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes. And be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all His people. So here's the picture that you get. God has rescued His people from the slavery of Egypt, and He's taken them to Mount Sinai, and He's gathered them there at the foot of the mountain. And in the very next chapter, chapter 20, we understand what God does as He gathers His people. He comes down on the mountain, and He speaks to them. And you might remember, if you've got your Bible, Exodus 19 is followed by Exodus chapter 20, which is the giving of the what? Is giving of the laws of God, the commands of God. So God comes down. He, he rescues them and He gathers them and He comes down and He, and he, and he, and he speaks to them. And we'll, we'll see that picture from another side in, in just a moment. That's what Old Testament church was. Old Testament ecclesia. All right? It was God's people rescued and gathered in the presence of God, listening to the, to the Word of God. Now I want to give you an incredible little Old Testament gathered picture. It's beautiful, and it's such a taste of something heavenly that's coming, and for you and I, that's coming later on. Have a look at this. This is Exodus chapter 24 from verse 9. So a little bit later. So Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up, went up into the mountain, and they saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis, lapis lazuli, as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God, and they ate, and they drank. Do you see it? Do you see it? That's what Old Testament church is. And here they're eating and drinking together. Where? In the very 
presence of God. And God is speaking to them. You know, just as a little, just a little taste of the wedding feast that's coming. You know that, hey, one day we will sit at the feast of the Lamb. We will be together in the very presence of God. And we will hear His Word spoken over us for all eternity. God gathered them where? In Eden. And He gathered them there at Sinai at the mountain. Then He gathered His people at the temple. Then He gathered His people at the tabernacle. Then He gathered His people at the old covenant festivals. All in anticipation of the New Testament gatherings. So number four, the gathered New Testament church. Now here's the thing, again, back into that Hebrews. When Jesus comes along, he doesn't obliterate the gathering of God's people. But when Jesus comes, what he does do is he radically defines and reshapes what those gatherings look like. Do you remember these words? In uh, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says to Peter after his great confession, he says to you, I tell you and you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my, my church, my ecclesia, my, my, my gathering. And on this, on this rock I'll build my gathering, and the gates of hell will not prevail. You see, with the coming of Jesus, to which everything in the old covenant pointed, the gathering of God's people changes because it's no longer restricted to ethnic Israel. It's no longer restricted to a particular location like Jerusalem. You remember those words, I think, of uh, Jesus in John 4, 21, when he says to the Samaritan woman, he says, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. And so the new covenant the new covenant picture of, of the church, of the gathering of the ecclesia, is that all of God's people meet wherever they are around the world. Wow, even in places like Pakistan. Now, now you're going to see something. What the Hebrew author now wants to do is he wants to fire up your biblical imagination. And imagination is a good thing as long as it's a biblical one. And you've got to fire it up because he wants you to see something that is just going to bring the whole thing together in, in, in an eternal perspective. So number five, the gathered heavenly church. You've got your Bible. I want you to turn with me. It will come up on the screen though, Hebrews chapter 12. So as we come into the gathered heavenly church, have a look what the writer says, and I'll read it to you again from verse 18 in Hebrews Writing to the Christians, he says, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm. You haven't come to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it will be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying at Mount Sinai that Moses even said, I am trembling with fear. Right, so go back to this Old Testament gathering we were spoken about. Man, that was a fearful gathering. He pulls them out of Egypt. He takes them to Sinai. They get to this mountain, and it is dark. It is gloomy. It is fearful. Why? Because God comes down on the mountain, and He is blazing in Shekinah holy glory. 
And he speaks to them the words of, of, he speaks to them actually the law of God. He speaks a holy word to a sinful people and everybody freaks out. They shake, they, they fearful. Even Moses, verse 21, shakes. He's writing to Christians. He says, no, 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 you haven't come to that. That's Old Testament covenant. That, that's there. But here's what you have come to. Now, what's, what's the change? But you have come to Mount Zion. You Notice, you have come to Mount Zion. You've come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. You've come to the church. The ecclesia, that one word, the ecclesia, the gathering of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all, the spirits of the righteous made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, you'll stay with me here. When, what the writer is saying is that if you're a Christian here this morning, when he redeemed you not from Egypt, but redeemed you from the slavery of sin and hell, you have come to the heavenly mountain, verse 22, which is called the heavenly Jerusalem, verse 22, which is called the Ecclesia. The, the gathering in verse 23. You have come to the gathering, the heavenly gathering of God's people. Now, let me just go back here to the start. Right? You have come. Uh, what I want you to see that, that it is a future reality, of course, but he's not writing in the future, is he? What's he saying? You have come. You have come. It's like that future reality is now. If you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, you have come to the heavenly gathering of all God's people. Now, the problem is I have got no illustration. I'm not even going to try. I can't even give you a picture of what this even means. But here's the thing. I don't know. I, I hope you've had many blow-your-mind moments when you've read the Bible and when you've uh, listened to that boring preacher that you've listened to. You know, you have those blow-your-mind moments. This should be one of those blow-your-mind moments. Because every single person sitting here that has been forgiven, justified by the blood of Christ, right now you have come to the heavenly gathering of God's people. Right now we're in the gathering of the angels. Right now we're in the gathering of all the Old Testament saints like Moses and Abraham and the whole lot. That's where he says you have come. Here's how Paul put it. Let me get there. Here's how Paul put it in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. He said, God, and God raised us up with Christ, right? When we become to faith, God has raised us up with Christ and seated us where? Seated us in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So he wants us to see that, that, that actually when we get saved, we, we've actually been saved for a heavenly gathering. And yes, it is a future reality, but actually it is a reality now. It's a reality that we can't see, but it is a reality now. And if all that sort of just discombobulating, what the author is really saying, therefore, therefore, when we meet together like this in this place and other contexts, we're actually getting an opportunity to taste and feel and touch what that heavenly gathering will be like. You see, if you went back to Sinai, you wouldn't even touch the mountain, right? You wouldn't go anywhere near it. You'd get killed. 
right here, right now, we're in the heavenly gathering, and right here, right now, therefore, we have an opportunity to touch and taste and feel and see something of what our eternal heavenly reality will be. Does that make sense? If you're discombobulated, don't talk to me afterwards. It's okay. Now let me show you something. So, should be obvious now. What's the heavenly gathering doing? If you've got your Bible, you've got your nose in it, and it's verse 24. Can you see what the, what's the heavenly gathering to which you have already come? What, what are they doing? Can you see it in verse 24? You've come to Jesus. You've come to the church. You've come to the gathering. You've come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and you've come to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better what? A better word than the blood of Abel. Now, you need to stay with me here. The heavenly gathering is gathered now around Jesus, whose blood speaks a better word than that of who? Abel. Now, do you remember, do you remember old Abel? Remember him? He gets killed by who? He gets killed by his brother Cain, and, and, and Abel's blood cried out for what? What did it cry out for? Vengeance and justice. And we see that because in Genesis 4 verse 10, the Lord said to Cain, what have you done? What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. You see, the, the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood word of Abel because Abel's, Abel's blood cried out for vengeance and, 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 and justice. What does the blood of Jesus cry out for? Mercy, forgiveness, grace, redemption, salvation of sinners for those who believe. So listen, if we could fire up your biblical imagination, we have been saved for the heavenly gathering. If we go there, what are we doing? What are we doing? And what will we be doing? We'll be listening to the word of the gospel forever and ever and ever and ever and ever in eternity. Because the blood of Christ will be displayed for all eternity over all of God's people in their complete utter grace, forgiveness, mercy, kindness, adoption, and everything else that goes with it. Do you see it? So let me ask you as we gather today, what should we be doing? <laughs> well, before we go to the attendance, what we do when we gather here is we do what? We proclaim the what? The blood of Christ. We proclaim the gospel. We proclaim the word of Christ that cries out what? Mercy, grace, forgiveness, adoption, salvation for wretched sinners just like you and me. Hallelujah, right? Oh, goodness. All right, let me come down to earth. Because I might fly off in a moment. So we're going to see, oh, there's a heading. That fits well, doesn't it? They gathered, therefore, let's come full circle back to the gathered heavenly church. Now, oh, this is interesting. Hey, uh, Back in 2020, actually it started, uh, the atheists in America, they started this, this, uh, this campaign in about 2017. It ran through to about 2020. They put a lot of money into the billboard, a billboard campaign urging people not to go to church. And I want to show you the billboard. It's quite interesting. 
That's what I said. That's what atheists put up all over America. Just skip church, it's all fake news. Got your Bible, turn with me back to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And I'm about to show you again that the, uh, the, the biblical billboard has a very different picture, doesn't it? Has a very different message. It says, don't skip church. It says what? <laughs> Go to church. Why? So here, look at it. Here's our billboard. We should put that all over our country and send it to America as well. And let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the bad habit of doing, but why? Encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Right. So we gather together, and what are we doing? We're hearing the word of Christ, what? Proclaimed, right? And here's the thing. Let's get this practical. When we meet together, whatever those contexts may be, we meet together in order to encourage one another to say, keep going with Jesus. Stick with Jesus. Don't take your eyes off Jesus. Let me encourage you to keep it. You're feeling weary? Let me lift you up. You're feeling down? Let me carry you. Don't drift. Don't go left. Don't go right. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Run the race with perseverance. Fixing your eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith. Keep going. Don't drift. Don't go away. Don't get isolated. Don't move off into your own space. Stay together. Let's keep going. Let's following Jesus. We encourage one another all the more as this day approaches. That's what we do. That's what we gather. This ain't about ratchet attendance. This is about what we do when we, when we gather. And so notice it says, what do we do? Let us consider how we may what? Spur one another on. Another translation is wonderful. How you might stir. Instead of spur, you stir one another up to love and to good deeds. And here's the thing, right? You simply cannot do that if you do not engage with the body of Christ. If you're a hit and a miss and a one and a there and a all over the place, how do you encourage? How do you engage? How do you spur? How do you stir? How do you encourage me? How do I encourage you if we're not here? I think when we start to think about this, it, it, it really, really sort of brings into perspective the the, the, the church online, right? I know there are many, many of you that will listen to sermons in the week, and that's a good thing, right? And we've got live stream. Thank you to our team at the back there, Marcus, and, and the rest of them. We have live stream. It was very important, isn't it? It's an important ministry, especially in the COVID pandemic. It has a place now. But how on earth do you spur one another on and stir one another up around a TV screen? How do you do that? How do we pilgrim together if we're not together? How do we pilgrim if we don't gather? The culture of our church needs to change. Now, I'm going to give you something very practical. I'm going to give you five questions that I want you to hopefully will become part of the ongoing culture with variations we go forward. Now, as you go out in a few minutes' time after the service... There is nothing wrong about talking about bits and pieces and bits of this and bits of that. That's all good, right? I mean, nothing wrong in 
sharing with someone how gutted you are that the eagles got so close and went down, you know. No wrong that you're just so excited about the Matildas getting to the quarterfinals and they're playing Denmark tomorrow, whatever. Norway, who knows who. All right, don't talk to Simon. He'll confuse you because um, he loves sport. Um, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Catching up, who's who? But here's the heartbeat, all right? Here's, here's, the, here's, the, here's the glue. Here's the... Here it is. When we gather... And we hear God's word proclaimed, and that can be connect group, can be Sunday, there's other things as well there. But those are the sort of questions that we really want to be pressing into and asking one another from a very genuine space because we want to encourage one another all the more and spur one another on and, 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 and help to lift up their eyes when they're drooping down. So here's a question you could ask someone over tea. Just how, how did God speak to you from the word this morning? You know, if it didn't speak to you at all, well, then you say that. That's okay. Not, not really, but you know what I mean. Um, how's your walk with the Lord? Are you persevering? Are you struggling with anything? How can I pray for you? I want to see that, that sort of thing. Not, 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 not in a sort of legalistic, stereotype, little boxy thing, but imagine, just imagine again, just after the service, instead of moving out to tea and coffee, maybe you're just with someone and you chat and you maybe ask some of those questions and pray together. Maybe that happens out there. Maybe you go into the garden and have a cup and then do that. Because the goal is encouragement. The goal is that we spur one another on. Let me, let me finish. I need to finish. Um, let me, number seven. The gathered battle. Let's not be naive. There is a battle that goes on in the hearts and the heads of Christians every Sunday morning. And every time you consider and hear the issue of connect group and join and whatever else. You see, because Satan is at hard at work in the hearts and the minds of believers trying to tempt them that you just don't need to. You just don't need to bother. It's just not that important. It doesn't, re doesn't really matter if you miss. There's 24 reasons plus many more, some legit as I said. But you see, because every Sunday morning, here's what's happening. There is this choice going on between the good and other alternatives. There comes this choice. Am I going to nurture the soul? Am I going to encourage my brothers and sisters? Or am I going to attend to the other urgent necessities of life? The phrase is that the good can be the enemy of the best is very true, isn't it? The good can be the enemy of the best. So here's the thing. We have got, first and foremost, we've got to live as disciples of Jesus Christ. We have got to figure out, listen carefully, we've got to figure out how to be fully devoted to Christ in the pressures of the modern life. And where we start is we start with the call of the kingdom. We start with the call of discipleship. We start with the call of the cost of discipleship. And we build our lives and our loves from there. Because here's what's happening, or here's what will happen. 
if, if gathering together, as I'm talking about this morning, if, we, if, if this gathering thing is just something we add to an already busy life, then all that happens is we find ourselves trying to squeeze this in and that in and this in and that in because it's not really a priority. And at the end of the day, we will just start making very unhealthy compromises. And all too often, the price to be paid is infrequent attendance at church. And what happens when that pattern is sustained and maintained, it becomes spiritually dangerous. The old cliched illustration of take the coal out of the fire, what happens to that piece of coal? It goes cold. It dies. It's no different. It's no different. If you take yourself out of the fellowship the gathering of God's people where there is the word of Christ. Where, Let me put the, can I just change the language slightly? Colossians 3.16, when we gather, we allow the word of Christ to dwell in us richly from the spoken word preached, proclaimed, and we allow that to what? We want that to come out into the lives of my brothers and sisters that are around me. Let me finish with this. Just to fire up your biblical imagination one more time. What's God doing in the world? What's God doing in the world? I hope you know that he's not building the nation of, his, of Australia. You do know that, don't you? It's quite clear he's certainly not building the nation of the United States of America. What's he doing? He's gathering what? Through the word of the gospel, through the word of Christ. He's gathering his people from every tribe, nation, tongue, culture, and the whole trip. Revelation chapter 17 from Pakistan to Mozambique to who goodness knows who where from Timbuktu to the bottom, Antarctica, the whole trip. He's gathering his people around the what? The heavenly throne you have come to of which this this morning can be, should be, and can grow into more and more of a taste and a touch and a feel and a realness of what our heavenly reality will be one day. That's the questions, right? Gathering, should be gathering. Church, gathering. Unmissable? Connect group? Just add it if it's convenient or is it admissible? Can you imagine? Can you just imagine? Sit and think. Music team, would you come up, please? Gathering team.